0: Welcome to Business Lens Broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, especially now that they've gone daily. Chris, you look remarkably well-rested for a guy who's always on the air, literally.
1: The secret to that is I'm a big believer in power naps, and I'm a big believer in coffee. So you you add coffee with power naps, you get good rest.
0: All right. So speaking of uh, that whipsaw action between being asleep, suddenly revving up, going back down for a quick nap. I mean, what you're really talking about there is volatility. Perfect word to capture what the heck is going on with the stock market right now. Um, We're down. We're down. And, you know, last year we were up and I know nothing lasts forever, but And you warned, you warned our listeners that this could, this could well happen. I mean, we could be, we could be heading for a down period because we'd been up so much, but um, what's going on here?
1: I think what's going on is a couple of things. One, it's sort of a a natural pullback. We've, we've seen this before. We're going to see it again, Um, but it never feels good. Like that's the thing that I've come to realize uh, now that I'm well into my third decade of investing in the stock market, is that every downturn hurts. It doesn't feel good, um, but all the more reason to stay invested for the long term because the longer you stay in the market, the better off you're gonna be. We think of volatility as something that is happening to us. Um, And when the market is going up, we don't mind the volatility. It's when the market is going down that we mind the volatility. And really, I think, uh, you know, my friend Morgan Housel wrote about this in his book, The Psychology of Money. Um, And when he wrote this, it really clarified it for me. We need to start thinking of volatility as the price of admission. When we go to a movie, when we go to a game, we pay a price at the gate to get in, and we don't mind that. You know, you go to a concert, you're gonna pay the price of admission. We don't think of volatility that way because there is no upfront price. It's sort of this ongoing thing that happens to us from time to time. But once you shift your mindset to think, all right, I'm investing for the long term, I'm looking 10 years out, 20 years out, then the volatility becomes less of something that you feel like is happening to you. And you feel like it is really more of something that you have signed up for.
0: You know when i used to work as a congressional staffer every single day was a roller coaster ride things would just happen and the the real skill that you acquired wasn't so much a knowledge of a particular policy area or an arcane piece of procedure or a rule what you really learned was how to distinguish the problems that you would worry about next week Versus the problems that you would forget by tomorrow. And it is interesting that when you take that longer term perspective, a lot of these daily ups and downs do begin to melt away, but it's hard. It's hard not to feel it because I think we associate the ups and downs with the risk of failure. And it's an interesting distinction between volatility and risk. It's actually something that I covered on another Finance-oriented show that I do with a personal financial planner. We we take more of a broad stock market view on this show, and that's what you do on Motley Fool Money. I do another show with a uh, with a personal financial advisor named Mike Morton, who kind of takes a an individual investing perspective. And, and he had a really good uh, line on on this about volatility versus risk. Risk isn't ups and downs. It's it's the downside of what if you don't achieve your long-term goals? Is is that how you see that distinction or or how do you see that distinction?
1: I see it in two ways. There's the risk that each one of us as individuals has to determine for ourselves that we are willing to stomach. Some people just have a higher risk tolerance. Um, There are people at The Motley Fool who are younger than me. Uh, They have a longer time horizon than I do. I'm in my mid-50s. Uh, They're in their late 20s, early 30s. So they're willing to take on more risk in their portfolio than I am. Uh, And that's fine. I think everyone should figure out what their risk tolerance is and invest accordingly. There's no problem if you just say, you know what, I I don't really have a stomach for risk and I'm just going to go for safer investments. I'm going to go for broad market index funds. That's great. That's a great way to invest. And it all ties into something we've talked about before, Matt, the sleep factor. If you're losing sleep over your investments, you're doing it wrong. So that's one type of risk. The other type of risk that uh, comes in times like these is in determining the companies that I own shares of and their stock is falling. Is that due to volatility or is that due to genuine business risk? You can look at a company like Peloton and the huge pullback in that stock price. And you can say with great confidence, that was a business at risk. They're retooling, they're cutting back on their spending, they're cutting back on their investments, they have a brand new CEO, they have a plan to move forward. But that was a business that was genuinely at risk. You look at a company today like Home Depot, just reported their fourth quarter earnings. It was a stellar fiscal year, Profits and revenue both came in higher than expected. And depending on where things go, uh, by the end of the day, shares of Home Depot could have their worst day post earnings that they've had in 20 years. That has nothing to do with the underlying strength of the business. Home Depot is as strong an underlying business as any in America, as far as I can see. But uh, that has to do with sort of the volatility. So as a Home Depot shareholder, I look at that. I don't think that that is a business at risk. I think that's just volatility.
0: What sounds like part of what you're saying is that the art to this and, and maybe the science that goes into it is distinguishing between what is volatility, just ups and downs, and what represents an actual change in your underlying thesis. Anytime you're investing, you have a thesis. You have, a, you have an idea of, here's why I think this is a good investment. And so it sounds like the question that one has to ask oneself is, what's changed? When I see the, a, a stock price go up or down or the overall market go up or down, is something affecting my underlying thesis? Or is this just other market conditions, but my thesis remains
1: intact. Right. And by the way, you just reminded me of the fact that this does happen when stocks go up. I've had occasions over the past few months where a stock I own, I look at the, you know, I type in the ticker symbol. I say, I wonder what this stock is doing today. And it's up 10%. And there's no news whatsoever. And I'll get in touch with one of our analysts and say, what's going on with this business? Did they announce something? Is there news? No. No there's no news. So we don't mind it when it's going up. We like it when it goes up on no news. We just kind of have to accept that the opposite happens as well, where it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's falling. There's no real good reason. Sometimes it's just the end of the month and mutual fund managers are selling out of positions that had been profitable. Again, their time horizon on Wall Street is just very different from ours. There are a lot of smart people who work on Wall Street. I'm not knocking them. But understand that their time horizon is fundamentally so different from people like you and me and people listening now. We're investing for years at a time. They're investing and they're looking out 90 days at a time. So
0: I have to point out, well, I'm pointing out back to you something you've pointed out that it's not just Home Depot. There are a lot of companies that are that are big, growing, doing well, and those stocks are falling after great earnings reports and positive guidance for the year ahead. So is it just kind of the same thing? Is it like a bunch, of, is it an aggregation of maybe a theory that that investors are feeling about the economy overall, or just random factors of, of volatility, or is there truly something that's that's affecting the underlying thesis across all of these companies that are experiencing this pattern.
1: It's important to remember that 2021 was a year in which the S&P 500 index, which is the broad index that we most closely associate to the stock market's performance. When people say, well, the stock market did this today, they're they're referring to the S&P 500. In 2021, the S&P 500 hit new all-time highs more than 50 times. So we're coming off of a fantastic year of repeated all time highs, basically every four days or so, the market was hitting a new all time high. So I think that's part of what's happening. I think part of it is uh, that some of these businesses are, um, they enter what I refer to as the perfect zone. um, And I probably need to come up with a better name, but to me, the perfect zone is when a company comes out with their earnings report and their guidance, if everything isn't perfect, the stock is going to fall. Oh, so, you know what that is?
0: I'm going to rebrand for you right now. Please do. Call it the almighty zone. You know how Joe Biden likes to crib from that, from that famous, I actually can't remember who originated it. Don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative, which is I'm not going to be perfect. And if you hold me up as a mirror to perfection, I'm going to be found wanting every time.
1: That's okay. Thank you for rebranding. I'm going with that now. Yeah, they entered the Almighty Zone. Home Depot's in the Almighty Zone. It's a great, strong business. They had great results. Their guidance needed to be even better for the coming year than it was. Uh, last week, NVIDIA, which is a $600 billion graphics chip maker, um, one of the most important companies in America, same situation, great earnings report, really strong guidance for 2022 the stock fell 8% the day the earnings report came out. So this is just sort of the environment we're in. I've been saying on Motley Fool Money for a while now, nobody's getting the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter how good a business is, nobody is going to get the benefit of the doubt from Wall Street right now. So investors like us should not expect otherwise. It
0: is strange because overall, the macroeconomic environment is relatively positive, especially when it comes to, indicators like jobs and earnings, as you say, and uh, the general profitability of business and the fact that consumers have so much cash sitting around in their checking accounts. So you have consumers with money to spend and a willingness to do it and the best labor market in 50 years, according to the Atlantic. And yet we have this, this weird turbulence going on with companies. It does sort of suggest that that connection between the macroeconomic environment notwithstanding what the fed's going to do with interest rates because we know that's an, that's an expected condition here and the market can price that in but it is interesting that that whatever tie exists there does seem to be awfully tenuous I mean does it does it tell you anything about how investors should treat news of, of new macroeconomic conditions how they should factor that into their thinking or is it just you know another one of these, things that sort of perturb the, the surface of the water. And, and you can't get caught up in all of that sort of quarter to quarter or month to month.
1: Yeah, you really can't get caught up in it. Um, it's, it's a game that you and I have no effect on and uh, neither does anyone listening. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Fed. Um, one, of, uh, one of our analysts made a joke the other day where he said, you know what? I, I, I think just to simplify matters, Bloomberg should just go all in CNBC should just go all in, and, and every guest they have on, they should just only ask them, uh, in March, do you think the Fed is going to raise rates um, you know, 25 basis points or 50 basis points? You know, It's something that the mainstream financial media is very obsessed with. I understand why. I understand it's a decision that has impact. But I am personally looking forward to the Fed just making a decision one way or the other so we can all move on with our lives. Um, it does go to the old adage that the market hates uncertainty. This is a not inconsequential uncertainty that is happening at the moment. Uh, I, I'm hoping that you know once the Fed makes a decision in March when they meet um, again, we can just sort of move on from here. But you know that you throw in the uncertainty with Russia and Ukraine, um, so against the backdrop of the amazing year the stock market had in 2021, I get it. I understand why it's happening. I don't love it. Um, But ultimately, that's why we focus on businesses at The Motley Fool, because at the end of the day, this is what is going to drive stock prices higher. Businesses doing better, growing, growing profits.
0: It is true that in the long run, you do still want to think that the fundamentals of business and profitability matter. That's what really determines things. But in the shorter term, boy, so much of it is about human psychology maybe in the long term as well. I mean, I I can understand why the uncertainty, even a minor amount of uncertainty around something that is widely anticipated, it's a known fact that there's going to be something that's going to happen with interest rates here, but it, it still creates an edge. Look, once upon a time, I did a very old-fashioned thing. And I spoke to my future in-laws, my my future parents-in-law, about the fact that I would like to propose to my girlfriend at the time. And I I forgot to mention, hey, please keep this a secret. What happened? They revealed to my future wife, my, my, my wife, that a proposal was coming. Now, Did the fact that she knew it was coming, she knew it was coming before that anyway. Did she know that it was coming? Did that change the sense of anticipation, the psychology of it? No, not really. And it was fine. It worked out just great, but I can see. I can see why even that that minor amount of uncertainty can still kind of keep the market on edge. And the fact that you know it's coming doesn't really change the effect, even though it should be priced in. I want to move on to one other uh, topic here that, you know, it's something we return to on this show a great deal, because I know it factors into your thinking. You're a big believer. If you were a football, you are a football guy. If you were a football guy, you like to talk about the intangibles. You believe that not everything is captured in sort of the 10K stats that you would see on a company. You believe very much in culture, company culture and company leadership, as a major factor as an investor, and you wanted to talk about this, I think, a little bit in the context of, of Boeing. So, what are you seeing?
1: So, uh, last weekend uh, on Motley Full Money, our guest was a documentary filmmaker named Rory Kennedy. Um, she's done a documentary about Boeing that is now on Netflix, and it's called Downfall. The case against boeing you can tell right there by the way the, from the headline the case against boeing you have a sense of where the documentary is going but i watched it i got an advanced copy and i have to say it was much more um, nuanced and dispassionate than i thought it was going to be um, obviously it's a, it's about the uh, crashes in late 2018 and early 2019 of the 737 max uh, planes there were two uh, airlines uh, that had crashes. Hundreds of people died as a result of that. Um, But one of the things that the documentary did that I was not expecting was about halfway through the movie, it basically stops covering the story of the crashes and goes back in time and essentially creates an origin story, um, tells the origin story of Boeing as a business, which is a business I'm familiar with, but didn't really know the backstory. And the short version goes like this, Man, Boeing Was a company built on it, it built its reputation on safety. We're going to make the best planes, we're going to make the safest planes. And the culture at the company was very much one of hey, safety is the most important thing. And anyone at any level of the company who detects something amiss in the process, detects any kind of problem with safety, wave the red flag. And we wanna know about it as soon as possible. In the mid nineties, Boeing underwent a merger with McDonnell Douglas. The people from McDonnell Douglas ended up in charge of the overall company. And that's when the culture of the company started to change. And as one of the analysts in the documentary says, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically went from being a culture where we wanna know the bad news as soon as possible. It moved from that to a culture where the CEO does not want to hear the bad news. Don't tell the CEO the bad news. And um, I was fascinated by this because, again, on the surface, this is a documentary about Boeing. It is also a cautionary tale about every business, about the importance of culture and what kind of culture businesses are creating, what kind of relationships they're fostering with all of their stakeholders, including and especially their employees. Is it a place where employees can speak up and wave a red flag when there's a problem? Or is it a place where, no, just keep your head down. You're not going to get rewarded. You're going to get punished if you, uh, if you tell the truth or you, or you call out problems. Um, I was fascinated by it. And it, it, it's one of those things that sort of has me thinking more about the companies I own shares of and, and trying to figure out, okay, well, what is the culture like there? Um, and that's where a, a website like Glassdoor, uh, comes in handy because Glassdoor.com is a place where you can go and just type in the name of any company and, and see what are employees saying about is this a good place to work and, and what do they think of management? I got to
0: tell you this is a very real thing. It, it, it can get inserted deep into someone's DNA as, as part of working in a certain company culture. In my work as a consultant, I've worked for a lot of electric utilities. And one thing that I noticed early on in working for electric utilities is that they would start every PowerPoint presentation they gave with a safety message. It didn't even have to pertain to where you were. They could just be giving a general safety message. And it wasn't long before I found out that is embedded in corporate culture in in this sector of the economy. They all believe in this, and it's drummed into them, and they do it. And then I started having meetings with VPs and other execs, and they would do the same thing. These are executive level briefings and they would start out with a slide about safety it could be here's fire safety in your home here's how to avoid uh, slipping on ice if you're if you're walking on your walkway it's just it's an amazing thing you don't even you don't even notice perhaps if you're embedded in it but i could see i totally buy and i could see the idea that if that's just part of a corporate culture it is going to get reflected in everything you do in all kinds of ineffable ways and maybe in some ways that are quite measurable I think we have time to squeeze in just one more, just one more totally different topic here. Um, You pointed out that uh, Airbnb uh, is saying that their next quarter is going to be the best since before the start of the pandemic, and the major hotel stocks all hit new highs last week. So any guidance for our listeners on logic?
1: It's pretty amazing to see particularly the hotel stocks um, doing as well as they are because they are as a group more dependent on business travel than something like Airbnb. Although part of the story with Airbnb is the movement we've seen over the last couple of years of more companies coming out and saying people can work remotely. And uh, one of the metrics that Airbnb shared was uh, longer stays. Essentially, how long are people staying? I mean, when I rent an Airbnb, uh, I'm usually doing it for a family vacation, so it's it's a week or less. Uh, Airbnb, more than a fifth of uh, people renting from them are renting for more than a month. It's wow. 28 days or more. Yeah, it was really pretty eye-opening to see that. So um, but uh, to go back to the hel- hotel stocks, I think they're doing a, a really good job of figuring out how to appeal to people, how to price their, rooms. I mean, that, that is the most important thing for a hotel business is what is the occupancy rate? If we don't, as they say in the business, heads on beds, if we don't have heads on beds, we're going out of business. And I think they're doing a great job. And, and, you know, a lot of times we get the question when a stock is hitting a new high, like, Oh, is is it time to get out? You know, or "I, I shouldn't buy shares now. I think some of these businesses, Marriott in particular, have done such a good job. Um, I don't own shares of Marriott, but uh, but it's one I've got on my watch list because I think that uh, part of what they're doing is looking to build out loyalty programs, not just for us as you know leisure travelers, but also for business travelers as well. And and um, doing that post pandemic, I think, could be a good driver for them.
0: And it, it is weird because it does seem to run up against. The the fact that business the, the whole culture of business travel is changing and yet and yet and yet I have to say our family has had to get some hotel rooms recently for for some personal travel and it seems like the hotels are are pretty darn full and the rates are it's not like it's not like we're getting a massive discount here so these businesses seem to be thriving despite that and you're you're saying that they're adapting basically
1: they really are and um, I, I think that. It's a good sign, not just for that industry, but it's a good sign for the economy in general. I mean, we've all been looking for two years now for uh, signs of life, signs of reopening. The fact that Airbnb comes out with after their latest earnings report and says, this is our guidance for the next quarterly report we have. We think it's going to be better than what we saw before the pandemic. Um, that's an encouraging sign for uh, for us as Americans.
0: Well, it is one of those things that you kind of throw into the mix along with everything else. And, you know, I guess if there's a take home from this discussion today, it's, you know, we've seen them go up. We might see these stocks go down. Who knows? Maybe they'll fall in the next few weeks, in the next few days. But the bottom line is, if you look long term, you're you're seeing a a trend in the right direction. Look, I'm going to take that to the bank. I find it encouraging no matter what happens with those stocks. Chris
1: Hill, Molly Full Money, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, man.